Good morning, everyone. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Is it well with your soul today? Can you say amen? amen. All right. I understand we are talking about relationships in chapel recently, and I'm encouraged by that. And so today we're going to talk about relationships. We'll talk about something that I have called not a love story. Not a love story. And I do just want to take the um, opportunity to let you know really why I'm here at all. Uh, and that is because uh, during this week and next week, with Advent Hope and Restoration, we are conducting some meetings, uh, noon time in Linda Hall with lunch provided, and then uh, 7 o'clock in the Campus Hill Church, really the same message twice, but in the evening is longer. And uh, we are talking about something that we've entitled Restoring Power. You are invited if you would like to come. We are talking about how to experience in our lives the power that is resident in the Word of God. So restoring power, you're invited noon at Linda Hall with lunch provided, and then in the evening in the Campus Hill Church at 7, and I believe we will be very, very blessed. Something a little different now, we shall pray and expect the blessing of God. Would you pray with me? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to you today in the name of Jesus. I thank you for your presence here, and I ask for and certainly need your spirit to rest upon me. Lord, please do not be hampered by the encumbrances of fallen humanity. But in spite of what you have to work with, I pray that you would work, that we would be encouraged, and that we would be challenged, and that by your grace we would be blessed. So please take and own this time, I pray, and thank you. In Jesus' name, please join me in saying, Amen. It is a privilege to be here, and I thank you for the opportunity. If you think about the great love stories, what do you think of? You might think of, you might think of Romeo and Juliet, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Now that's a line. <laughs> Only once in my life did I ever say to a woman, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? Only once. I was kidding. There was about eight of us standing together. I won't tell you where, but we were standing together, and one by one, people just sort of drifted off. And I hope there was nothing in that. They just sort of drifted off, and so it was me and her, and it was very awkward. And so I said, wow, what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this? It was a joke. It was the, it was it, and she looked at me like this and, and turned <laughs> and walked off. <laughs> well, I say she didn't have a sense of humor. I should have said, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and, and Isabel is the sun. Maybe, maybe that would have worked out better. In the Bible, you read about great love stories, great ones. There was that guy, Jacob. He worked those extra years for Leah. He worked seven years, and then seven more. And the Bible says that the love that he had for this woman was so strong, so strong that those years seemed to him as but a few days. Man, what kind of a relationship was that that they were having? And what sort of love was it that was driving that? But today we're going to look at something that is evidently, patently, I would say, not a love story. However, as is true with much, you can learn just about as much from the way somebody messed something up as you can from learning about the way somebody got it right. And so we'll look at this thing, not a love story, not really. 
The story begins with a lowly man and a lowly woman receiving a visit from an angel, telling them that they would be the parents of a special boy, a special boy who was destined by God, preordained by God to grow into a special man. This man would be a deliverer of his people. And this was necessary at that time. The people wanted and they needed to be free. And God put his hand first upon a woman and a man, and then upon the child who would be produced, and said, this man will be the deliverer. The promised son was just what Israel needed. He was just who Israel needed. I have a confession to make. I don't understand the clock. I thought we had a countdown clock. We just have a clock. Someone help me, otherwise it's going to get ugly. (laughs) He was what Israel needed. God knew it, and God said, I'm going to bring this boy into the world, and he'll be a great man. So the peasant parents were told by God just how they ought to raise this young boy. There are certain things that you want to put into his life, and certain things that you want to make sure don't get anywhere near his life. The task filled them with awe, filled them with awe, but they accepted the challenge because the challenge was brought to them by no less a personage than God himself. This was a time when there was no king in Israel, no king. The Bible says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. This was not a good time in the history of God's people. And so we must pick up the story and investigate this This anti-love story. Please turn in your Bible, if you have it with you, to uh, Judges chapter 14. Judges and the 14th chapter. Judges chapter 14. This young man's early life was very happy. He grew into a strong man, a man that nobody feared. Wait a minute. He grew into a strong man, a man who had no fears, a man perhaps that many people feared, or if they didn't fear, they learned to fear him. One day, as he was walking through a vineyard, a lion roared. And the account given in the Bible is that he extinguished the lion with his bare hands. Now, I don't know if you've ever been close to a lion before. And I don't know if you've looked into the mouth of a lion and seen its teeth and heard its roar and seen it walk backwards and forwards near where we lived in North Carolina for a time. There was an animal sanctuary, a lion sanctuary. Here's what happens. Man had a pet lion and raised the lion. Lions are easy to buy. You can buy lions and tigers. You can buy them. They don't even cost that much. You can buy them as as, uh, cubs, as kittens. You can buy them. And they're cute. Who doesn't want a pet lion? But they have a problem, these things. It's not really a problem. It's, it's, It's natural, but it develops into a problem. A baby lion before long turns into a... a big lion. And then they're not so cuddly and they're not so cute. And people typically then look for a place to dump their big cat. And this guy in North Carolina ended up the daddy to about 35 or 36 lions. And we would go and visit them. And I remember one day walking past the lion enclosure with my son. And my son was all of two or three years old. And as we walked past the lion enclosure, a big cat got down like this. His head on his paws, his his back end up in the air. And he kind of skulked along the ground. He was stalking my son. If that big fence hadn't been there, he would have leaped upon him and eaten him. Now, I wasn't Samson. I don't know what I would have done in response. Samson would have taken that lion and torn him apart. That's what Samson did. This was a bad guy. About five miles from his home was the town of Timnath. And Samson started to show a a less than normal leaning towards visiting Timnath. 
When a young man starts exhibiting behavior that's out of the ordinary, you can start to ask yourself why. Samson started to take care of his personal grooming a little more than usual. He started to brush his hair and make sure his teeth were brushed. He was spending more time on his cell phone than he had ever spent. Suddenly, he was caring about the little things that his parents had been getting on him for years. He was remarkably punctual now, and in some ways, he seemed highly motivated. You could have expected that there was a woman involved, and yes, there was. That's why he started frequenting Timnath. And if this story had been written in a contemporary key, it would have included lyrics involving roses and chocolates and dinners and perfume. But this is not a love story. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Really? And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said this to his father, Get her for me because she pleases me well. We're going to learn from Samson's mistakes. This was not a love story. First mistake is that Samson decided he would take a, a bride from among the daughters of the Philistines. It may not be classy to say so. It may not be PC to say so. But it's biblical to say so. That's never a smart idea. I know that God has on numerous occasions blessed that and brought sunshine out of rain or clear skies out of gray skies. God has done that in spite of the choices we make. But God tells us that this is a mistake on a fundamental level, when somebody doesn't share your deeply held spiritual values. You know, you can get by with someone who likes garlic when you don't. You can get by with that. Okay, maybe not. But you can get by with somebody who likes blue when you like red, who wants a futon when you want a sofa. You can work your way through that. But when your differences are fundamental, all the way down to the basement level. When you're dealing with matters of life and death and afterlife and after death and you don't share the same spiritual platform, it's not heading for anything very good. Secondly, we notice that this young man ignored the counsel of his parents. You know, I don't care how old somebody is. If they've got a godly parent or two, it would be wise for them to consider the counsel of their parents. Always wise. If our parents are consecrated and converted and committed, we ought to find out what they have to say. And if our parents don't fall into that category, if it's possible, maybe we can find some parents that we do, that do. And thirdly, Samson evinced that what was going on here was nothing at all about love. This was about lust. Get her for me, for she pleases me well. He was all about his own desires. This woman was hot, and that's all that mattered to Samson. Now, if you can find yourself an attractive partner, more power to you. My wife did, and she's been happy that she did. <laughs> you were supposed to say amen. <laughs> he found someone who was attractive. He found someone who scratched his itch. And what was he going to do? Get her for me because she pleases me well. Desires, good. 
I can't imagine marrying someone or, 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 or getting, oh, well, no, it's really, it's only marriage, isn't it? Marrying someone that you don't desire. That would be a mistake. Desire is great. Whether you desire a car or lunch or a better job or a particular person, desire is fine. But desire must be subordinate to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Can you say amen? Desires, fine, but we got to remember that God has desires. And in this life, our plan, our task, if you'll just allow me to call it that, is to find out what God's desire is and then get on board with that. Then you can't go wrong. If you leave God's desires out of the question and just do your own thing, you're going to end up in a mess. When a young man and a young woman grow together in love, in the love of God, nothing could be better. But when selfish love takes the place of unselfish love, things end up in disaster. Relationships are great when they are built upon God's plan for a person's life. Relationships will always end in disaster if they are not. It doesn't matter how nice looking she is or how good a career he has or how much fun a couple have together. Decisions will only be blessed when they are blessed and blessed by God. To go outside of that is to call disaster. And I looked up disaster. Tragedy, ruin, adversity, catastrophe, calamity. Dad went to arrange the wedding anyhow. The wedding of the year, this was not. This was not William and Kate. This was Samson and some woman he desired. When the wedding was over, some of the guests were plotting murder. The bride was nagging her husband to answer a riddle. When he realized she had betrayed him, he got up and murdered 30 men. He went home, left her, went home to his hometown. When he got back, discovered that she had married his best man. He took revenge on the whole community, and his former wife was then put to death. Our friend made some mistakes. Now, we've all made mistakes. Nobody knows that like God does. And thank God, God is the ironer out of the crinkles or wrinkles in our lives. God is the forgiver of, 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 of sin. He is the, the make-gooder on mistakes. God could have cast us aside years ago. Our original grandparents made a terrible decision when they ate something they were told not to eat. But God is long-suffering. God is long-suffering. To make a mistake is one thing God can work with that. To repeat it <clears throat> is foolishness bordering on madness. But there is something about human beings. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's, perhaps we can just call it sin. Sin leads us to the place where we are prone to repeat mistakes that we have made. Eventually, Samson became the leader God called him to become. In spite of his earlier foolishness, God said, I can still use this man. Aren't you glad that God sees something in people that he can use even after we have blown it? But Samson had a moral Achilles heel. He didn't behave unlawfully the first time around. He just behaved foolishly. Round two saw Samson descend to the gutter. He took up residence with a woman, or at least became entangled with a woman with a bad reputation and a dishonorable profession. Her name was Delilah. And for a second time, Samson made a mistake in the pursuit of a relationship. Samson and Delilah is not a love story. I'm going to read from Judges 16 and verse 3. Samson lay till midnight. 
and arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city and two posts and went with them, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them up to the top of a hill that's before Hebron. And it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to him, Entice him and see where his great strength lies. We're going to use you to get to this man. But God had said, Samson, I want you to know what I can do in your life. You see, when Samson picked up the gates and the bars of that city and carried them up a hill, it wasn't because he'd been working out. It was because the blessing of God rested upon him. God was saying, Samson, I'm not done with you. In spite of your mistakes, I can use you powerfully. In spite of where you've been and the way you've messed up, Samson, I can do something in your life if you will yield that life to me. Eventually, you know, Delilah betrayed him. It led to his capture. Ultimately, it led to Samson's death. You can be sure that when he stood in that great temple, chained to one post and another, realizing that all he could do now was take his own life and the lives of thousands of those around him, right then he was saying, would to God I had got with God's plan. If only I'd made a decision to do things God's way, I wouldn't be standing here blinded with my eyes gouged out. It would be different. I would be the leader that God had called me to be. It was too late, though. Thank God Samson was repentant. Hebrews chapter 11 sees Samson's name listed in the roll call of the faithful. You see, God had great plans for Samson. It included plans for his relationships. Friend, God has great plans for you and me, including plans for our relationships. If we screw it up the first time around and you get a second shot at it, it's not too late to say, Lord, let's do it your way. Done God's way, things work out perfectly. Done my way or yours, things end up bad. God's version of love was found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here is where the Bible says that love suffers long, or if you like, love is patient. You hear people say, I can't take it anymore. In truth, there are occasions that is true. But most of the time, yes, you can, because love is patient. As a matter of fact, depending on what's involved, depending on what's involved, in the eyes of God, we've got a duty to continue to take it, depending on what's involved. When a person stands in the sight of God and says, I do, that means, that means I do and I will continue to do. We can't fool ourselves. As one writer wrote, I think I quoted him earlier, the course of true love never did run smooth. Someone once said to my wife, choose your love and love your choice. Man, am I glad she did that. Love is patient. Love hangs in there. Paul went on to say to the Corinthians that love does not envy. I will celebrate your successes. I will celebrate your popularity. I will rejoice when people slap you on the back. I will be glad when you achieve academically and professionally. I will not envy. I will think only the best of you and I will not be suspicious. Love does not behave, it, behave itself unseemly. God calls me to treat you and anybody else with dignity and respect. God calls us in relationships to manifest dignity and respect. Love does not seek her own. Love says, what can I do for you? How can I serve? In the last few years, you've heard more about servant leadership. We ought to hear more about servant marriage. Love is not easily provoked. If I really love you, I will not lose my temper. If I really love my children, I will not yell at them. I will see to it that they are in no doubt about my love for them. I will not overreact. Because, because why? Not because I have tried, not because I am good, not because I'm great, not because I've climbed some spiritual ladder to success, but because Jesus owns my life. 
you know something? God showed us how relationships work. <clears throat> Back in the Garden of Eden, he said, you two, in there, enjoy, do what you like, have fun. Just don't eat the fruit of that tree, that's all. But they did. And when they did that, they signed the death warrant of Jesus Christ. The minute Eve bit the fruit, Jesus was doomed to die. He would have to come from heaven all the way down to earth, <clears throat> live as a man, deal with, with, with the refuse of this world, and then die a horrible execution. He would be nailed to the cross. So Adam and Eve had, in essence, just murdered Jesus. And what does God do? The Bible tells you God comes down and he walks in the garden and they hear him there in the cool of the day. And God walks about the garden and he says something curious. He says, Adam, where are you? Now, he didn't say, Adam, where are you? He didn't say that. He wouldn't have needed to come from heaven to do that. Adam, where are you? With, with pathos in his voice, with tenderness in his voice, with love in his voice, Adam, where are you? He wasn't asking them where they were geographically. He knew that. He probably walked up to the bush they were hiding behind. Adam, where are you spiritually? Think about this. Adam, you messed up, Adam, but you know what? If you give me a chance, God says, I will, I will take care of that. I will clean up the mess. Adam, you messed up, but it's not too late for you. You know, the Word of God says that God so loved the world that He gave. God so loved the world that He gave. He gave them a world. He loved them so much. He gave them a garden. He loved them so much. He gave them everything there. He loved them so much. He gave them each other. He loved them so much. And when they spat in His face, God said, I love you too much to let you go. I'm going to hang in there with you. You see, that's a relationship. God made a decision. He decided He would love the human family. Somebody once wrote years ago, and I don't know exactly when, love is a principle, not an emotion. I wonder if you've ever heard that before. Love is a principle and not an emotion. And so as you think about relationships with others, relationships with a significant other now or one day, that's one thing. But before that relationship can stand on anything, there's a need to ask ourselves about the relationship that matters most, and that's the relationship with Jesus. Remember, love is a principle, not an emotion, which means that love for Jesus is a principle, not an emotion. You can be down and flat, you can be defeated and dirty, but love is a principle, not an emotion. When you feel abandoned by God and the ball isn't bouncing your way, it is then that we remember love is a principle and not an emotion. God so loved the world, and according to what we read in the Bible, we love Him because He first loved us. When guided by God, love is on the right track. That's love for others. But before love for others can be anything meaningful at all, there's got to be love for God built on something, built on faith in God's Word, built on a belief that God is. Listen, if He is, we can trust Him. If He exists, we can believe in Him. If He's there, then we can afford to have Him in our lives. And when Christ is in our lives, everything about our lives is going to start looking up and not looking down. It doesn't mean everything's going to be smooth, but it means that even when it's rough, God is there. Even when it's dark, Jesus is there. If you look to Christ, He will guide you and draw you. Relationships, if Jesus is leading, He will guide and draw. If Christ is in the mix, it's going to work out okay. It was years ago, and, and my son was little, uh, some people love children because they're tax deductions and preachers love them because they're sermon illustrations. And my son was about six years old. We were together with a group of, uh, they were in fact Bible workers. 
young people who are doing evangelism, young, aged between 18 and 48, and 48 is getting younger every day. I asked them a question. I talked about a couple of verses in the Bible. I said, we're saved by grace through faith, but over here the Bible says, strive to enter in through the straight gate. What then? Reconcile this for me, you Bible students. Help me. And I looked at the first, and he looked at his feet, and I looked at the second, and she looked at her friend. And I looked at her friend, and she looked up. I don't remember where she looked. She looked somewhere. Went around the circle. Uh Uh-uh. He's not working. Got to the last one, and he was honest enough to say, I don't have a clue. I said, well, I was about about to say something that I hoped was profound. When that six-year-old boy spoke up and he said, Daddy, I think I know. (laughs) If you've had children, then you know that there are times that you just... You die a little death for your kids, you know? It's like when they're, when they're doing scripture reading in church and they, they forget it. You go, oh, you love them and it's fine, but you go, oh. Or if they're in the school play, you know, and they forget their lines, you go, oh. I asked a theological question. My son said, Daddy, I think I know. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, not now, son. <laughs> but, you know, doing that to a kid can be rough. He wanted to express himself. Daddy, I think I know. I said, what is it then? What do you think, son? What did you say? He was sitting in the back a little bit, and he said, I think it's this, Dad. He said, I was listening to a a CD, a story on CD, the one about Christiana. Christiana. I said, what? You've heard of John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. Yes, Pilgrim's Progress. The fellow in there was a fellow named Christian, and his wife was Christiana. And I wondered what happened to her, because he left his family and went to the celestial city. I thought, what about her? Well, Bunyan wrote a book about her too. And this was what my son was listening to on the, on the CD, you see. And he said, Dad, Christiana was going to the celestial city, but there were hazards everywhere, hazards everywhere. And they told her that she had to be careful because there was Mr. Worldly Wise Man and, and this person and that person, and there was the slough of despond. It's not the slough of despond. It's the slough of despond. There was the slough of despond. And she wondered how she could ever make it, but somebody came to her and said, Christiana, it's okay. You will make it to the celestial city as long as you keep your eyes on the light. As long as you keep your eyes on the light. My son said, Daddy, I think when Jesus is talking there in the Bible, he's telling us to strive to keep our eyes on the light. And I looked at the group And all I could say was, shall we pray? (laughs) Friends, you can talk about relationships until you are blue in the face. But there's a relationship that we've got to get sorted out first. And that's your relationship with God. There's nothing in this about working your way to heaven. But there's something in this today about keeping your eyes on the light. If you keep your eyes on the light, the rest is going to take care of itself. If you keep your eyes on the light, God will guide your decisions. If you keep your eyes on the light, God will speak to you. You will hear a voice behind you when you turn to the left and when you turn to the right. The voice will say, this is the way, walk ye in it. Friend, I want to encourage you today. Keep your eyes on the light. Samson did not. That was not a love story. Let yours be a love story. A story of love for Jesus and his love for you. And a story of what that love can do in your life when your life is given to him. Let me pray with you briefly. Our Father. We thank you for Jesus and his goodness. Give us grace today 
to keep our eyes on the light. As we do, you'll work it out. Give us grace to listen and hear and follow and be led, be drawn. I pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Please say with me, amen.